Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Randy Woodland, for becoming a patron of the original cast and supporting the art that you love. I hope you like being a patron of the original cast. I hope you enjoy our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast of the Movies. You can only get it by going to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and becoming a patron of the original cast. And this year, as you may have heard, is the year of Barbara. We are deep in September now, the movie this month. Up the Sandbox. We record that episode tomorrow, and man alive, that's going to be quite an interesting conversation. We've done The Mirror Has Two Faces, Hello Dolly, Prince of Tides, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, Nuts, The Owl and the Pussycat, All Night Long, and What's Up Doc. Still to come, the main event for Pete's sake, and we close out in December with The Way We Were. So please go over to patreon.com slash originalcastpod. Become a patron of the original cast, gain access to all the different tiers, which have all kinds of fun little things you can do, and especially listen to the original cast of the movies. Here in the year of Barbara, next year's theme has been decided. I told a bunch of people what it was, and then I changed my mind, so I think I might be the only one who knows what the actual theme of next year's original cast of the movies is going to be, and I'm very excited to share with you what it's going to be. Patreon.com slash original cast pod, become a patron of the original cast, gain access to original cast of the movies, and support the art that you love. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a playwright and an actor, two things that taste great together. It's Vince Gatton, everybody. Hello. Hello. That was a weird intro. I don't know why I said that, but we're going to go with it. You know what? (laughs) I actually felt incredibly flattered, which has juiced me nicely for whatever's next. You and I met at the Sam French Off-Broadway Festival five years ago he wants to say yeah 2018 yeah. i wait yeah wait, i i think you won that didn't you oh uh, yeah 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 i did i did somebody else won that that i w- was else, this, i'm talking else? to currently uh oh, wait, but I, I won that you. too right oh, you did yeah yes. we won. um it's amazing what a bond it puts between people <laughs> <laughs> we're we all published there together for each celebrating on the uh well, then, if you follow me and or events on social media, you will see that you went to Drama Bookshop to sign some stuff and uncovered some stuff that I had signed at the same time, which, it's is, true. Pretty, which is pretty funny, it's true. Um, which is good. Not selling fast enough. I told Mark over there, not they're not they got to push that 2018 <laughs> point a little harder. <laughs> but mainly you're here to talk about nine I'm here nine. to talk about Mar- nine. Mari Estes nine. Now you, so I'll, I'll I'll just toss it to you because you, your email about nine was great. So how did nine come oh, into your life? Well, it's funny because here's the thing. Uh, I have a, a theory, uh, and it's not a rule, but I do think it is a tendency that uh, if you have a favorite show that has multiple recordings, your favorite recording of it is probably going to be your first. Oh yeah. Um, 
whatever you heard first is the one you fell in love with. And nine for me is the exception that proves that rule because the one I heard first is not the one that I listened to obsessively. Mm. Um, and nine is not even my favorite Broadway show. Um, but I am weirdly a completist about nine. I have every recording that one can purchase of Do nine. Really? Wow. I, I, I have them all. I got, I have the orig- original Broadway cast album. I have the 1992 uh, London uh, concert cast album. I have the Australian cast album from 1987. Uh, I then have the 2003 revival cast when that came out. And um, by then I was living in New York and could see that, which was the first mm-hmm. production of the show I ever saw. And um and what oh and then i also recently watched the transport group um mm, concert mm-hmm. that they did uh which does not have a recording but i did go see that and of course the film came out so i now i have the soundtrack um so i have a weird obsession that if you have recorded nine i'm going to purchase it and i'm going to listen to it and i'm going to judge it um <laughs> and it's uh, it's crazy to me because my first I ever heard was the original Broadway cast, but the recording I am obsessed with is the 1992 uh, London concert cast, which was a one night only um, event that was an AIDS fundraiser for yeah. Crusade um, that starred Jonathan Price as Guido. And, uh, and then a few days later, they got them all into a studio and recorded it. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I don't know how much okay, you so that, how we got there, but well, that's no, that was my thing. first question. So, because because there are so if you look for this recording, because you'd mentioned this the London concert cast recording, and I am not a fan of live cast recordings, but I thought okay, I'll give this one a twirl for you, and then listen to it, and I thought, man, this is the best recorded live concert I've ever heard in my life. Like I don't I don't hear the audience at all, and then like about halfway through it, I thought. I don't think this has been recorded in front of it was not a recorded live not. audience. No, and not it's not, yeah, that makes, okay, yeah. good. So you answered that first question for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I first encountered Nine, I was in college, and someone used Unusual Way as mm-hmm. a piece they were working on for an audition in a class. And it was beautiful. I mean, that is a oh, yeah. beautiful song. It is yeah. uh, sort of the marquee song. If you know nothing else from Nine, you probably know Unusual Way. Yeah, you know Way. Unusual Way, yeah. Even um, if you don't think you know Unusual Way, you know Unusual you Way. You hear you've heard like, oh, someone yeah. sing. Yeah, yeah, because people love to put that on their on their albums and people love sure. to record it as they should. Um, and my friend who sang it, sang it beautifully. And I was like, what's that from? She says, nine. I run right out and I buy nine. Uh, it's 1989 or 90. So I buy a cassette and mm-hmm. I listen to it and I'm like, huh, that's the one good song. Yeah. And, and it just sat there. Like that's, that's how I first encountered uh, nine was, well, wow. it's got that one song. And so then I would just leave it <laughs> queued up to unusual way. And I would listen to unusual way. Now I must say some of that is just, uh, it, it just, it did not grab me. It just did not grab me. Um, I, uh, this is going to be heresy for a lot of people which was, is that Karen Akers, legendary cabaret singer and one of the stars of the original Broadway cast, she plays Louisa, uh, Guido's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, Karen Akers is a legendary singer and her voice is not for me. Mm. Um, and, you know, sort of the first uh, woman to have a first solo you hear 
on that recording is her, I, my husband makes movies and right. she is a singer of standards and jazz and um, just it, her voice has a, a quality that to my ear, my teenage ear who thought he knew something just mm -hmm. tended to flatten the music for me. It just was an mm. odd odd throaty sound that was very flat to me and I just I just didn't cotton to it. My husband makes movies to make them he lives a kind of dream in which his actions aren't always what they seem he may be on to some unique romantic theme some men catch fish some men tie flies some earn their living baking bread my husband he goes crazy making movies instead I have since seen her sing live and now I get it and it all makes sense and it all makes sense um, but at the time I listened and there's this weird kind of odd vocal quality happening that I didn't understand mm -hmm. and um, and just it was not a, a, a recording I listened to very much I would li occasionally listen to it in the usual way and then um, they then I was out of school and I was living in Chicago when the concert album, the London concert recording happened. And I liked Jonathan Price and I was like unusual way. And I was like, I didn't hate it. I just never, you know, whatever. So I bought that thing. And it was like, I'd never heard this before. Um, I think there are several reasons for that. Mm -hmm. You know, this concert not being bound by the limitations of a production it was a one night only thing. They had 146 people. They, yeah, they had a, it was like a huge thing. Just yeah. a huge thing. There are a few little clips of it you can catch on YouTube if you dig hard enough. Um, and just an enormous orchestra. And it's just so lush and huge. And the scale of that show, um, it, it also included male voices, which I, mm -hmm. you know, because they could and why not? It's a concert. Um mm -hmm. And so they just, I don't really know anything about musical orchestration or anything, but it just allowed them to paint every possible color in those big choral numbers. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and just, it's so big and lush and rich. And I became obsessed with it. And I listened to it so much that I wore out that cassette and had to buy another one. I would drive around my car, you know, um, <laughs> singing the Germans at the spa at the top of my lungs. Um <laughs> And so then I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I cannot explain why it did not grab me at the earlier point, but this recording did, but I love it. I still love it. It's been, oh dear God, 30 years. Sure. And I will still, that's like my comfort zone, my happy place. I go back to that recording of nine um, and just um, jam. I rock out to nine <laughs> <laughs> because I am, desperately nerdy oh that well hey i mean well you, you're you're in a safe place vince so don't don't thank don't you fear thank that. you uh well so we, we we'll, we'll back up and do a plot summary for the for the for the folks in, in sure. one half second but i mean it is a really if you've heard the broadway cast recording it is an an entirely different sound coming out of this concert recording because as you say this is a show that was, as I as my research indicated, conceived more the way it's presented in this concert with this bigger cast, 
male voices, large orchestra. And then Tommy Toon came on board and sort of said, well, hang on, how about we shrink it down and it's all women and just the one man at the center of it all. Cause it's about his relate among other things about his relationship with women. And on, in that version, it was a, that was the version that was the big success. That's the version that, yeah. that took off. But it, so it's, it's really interesting that it, they get this, this chance to sort of be like, well, we'll just, we'll just open it back up again. And they really like, it blows the doors off the place from from the overture, which is like you say, this huge orchestra and everybody's put. Uh, yeah, it it really has an amazing sound. Yeah, I mean, I don't second guess Tommy Tune's choices in this. I mean, oh I think sure, just that the argument he made for what this show should be, and I think there was really only one major one major character that was where they changed a gender to keep a character. They changed the um, the producer. From a male mm-hmm. character to uh, Liliana Lafleur, who um, Liliana Montevecchi, who played her and won the Tony, and she did the original cast and is on this and she's on this concert. recording, yeah, right. Um, uh, but the idea of him and especially that original Broadway design of the white tiles of the spa mm-hmm. and those just incredible. I mean, it's 1982 fashion, but it is high freaking fashion um oh, yeah. of just this exquisite visual of these ladies draped all over this white tiled set um and raul julia at the center of it all um it's it's delicious this concert mm-hmm. you know they have scaffolding and it feels like a fellini movie it feels right. um much more like a fellini movie fellini being Eight right. and a half being the source of this. So do we want yes. to then explain yeah, so what let's nine jump is? In for people don't <laughs> yes so for for people who don't know yeah and and just in general Nine is based on the film Eight and a Half and uh, by Federico Fellini. And Vince, do you think you could summarize the plot of Eight and a Half slash Nine? Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, <laughs> it's a thinly veiled uh, sort of autobiographical thing. I mean, the main character uh, is essentially a Fellini stand-in. He is a mm-hmm. world-renowned filmmaker who is having a crisis of, uh, a creative crisis. He He's uh, stuck. He's... Um, the well is dry and he's under pressure to make his next film and he does not know what that is going to be. And consequently uh, goes through just like a somewhat phantasmagoric um, meltdown identity crisis um, is like essentially you like it, as one does when <laughs> everyone's waiting for your next genius film to come out and you don't know right. what it's going to be. Um, and then, which involves, uh, you know, he's got a wife, he's got a mistress, he has a, uh, a beautiful film star that uh, has been in several of his movies and is a former lover who in desperation, he reaches out to her so that maybe she will inspire him because she always has in the past. Um, And uh, Tommy Toon's idea was to, in in adapting it for um, a stage musical was to eliminate all of that, that essentially a lot of eight and a half is about his relationship to the various women in, in his life, including his mother and a whore from his childhood when he went and he 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 has this encounter with a prostitute on a beach um and so it's a lot of uh Fellini's um screwed upness about women is very tied to his screwed upness in this moment of his life so he's at a yes. personal and career crisis if you've seen um all that jazz and if you haven't what's mm-hmm. wrong with you um <laughs> Uh, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz is Bob Fosse giving himself the eight and a half treatment. Yes. Um, 
so if you ever do then seek out eight and a half and you're like, huh, this is kind of like all that jazz. It yeah. is. <laughs> yes. But longer and in black and white and in Italian. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I mean, eight and a half really gave filmmakers in general permission to make movies about stuck filmmakers being and having these sort of weird they and it become it became for a little while there in the 70s and late 70s the thing that like a lot of directors were doing um yeah and to varying levels of success i would woody I would allen say. definitely yeah, leaned into it stardust memories was a little bit mm-hmm. of an eight and a half uh a, a little bit uh it yeah. is eight and a half <laughs> um ostensibly uh and you know, you, then you had other directors who were all like for, uh, Francois Truffaut made Day for Night, which is a different kind of approach to movies about. Yes. But this idea of like movie filmmakers making movies about making movies became like this this artistic thing to do. Yeah. And nobody ever did it as good as Fellini did it, though. I do love all that jazz is one of my all time yeah, favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm, a, a, I'm a human with well, yeah with with blood yeah, in my veins. You have a pulse. Um, yeah. So. But yeah, so then the musical simply takes this, uh, this like you say, idea of the stuck filmmaker and really focuses more because the movie is sprawling and yes. uh, and surrealist and and sort of you know dreamlike, and the musical kind of shrinks all that down to it might be the only musical based on a movie that's shorter than the movie it's based on. Um, I, I think <laughs> it's that, funny, but yeah, that's probably true. It's a it's cinema with a capital yeah cinema with a capital C um and nine one thing that nine does I think well I, I do give Tommy Tune a lot of credit there are there are even that concept it, it inherits some from things like Company you know mm-hmm. the action of Company occurs in what like the second he opens his door right. Bobby walks into the the party and the entire show happens in that moment um right. you know that sort of fragmented uh thing um nine does traverse somewhat chronologically but has the same sort of surreality to it at times um there's some visual ideas that feel borrowed from follies a little bit the original production of Mm. follies um so you know it it builds on a lot of other legacies as well beyond uh, theatrical legacies on top of just uh, adapting eight and a half so how how much older were you when you got to the concert version from from the Uh, original like four years older like four years older older. yeah and out of school i was no longer right i I was living in chicago and trying to make a go of it and working day jobs and um yeah so i don't know i always wonder yeah if the the where you are in your frame of life when you re-encounter something like this like influences because you were i mean i I assume at that point you know trying to make a go of it as as, why yes yeah so it would also have a shock to the system that yes once you leave school and go out into the world and do the thing yeah um so i wonder how much of a a role that maybe also played in it a little bit and you know at that point in your life too my life because people who don't grow up near broadway um you know i would see touring shows but like i didn't see original broadway casts until probably 87 was the first time i was in new york and saw a broadway show before Mm. the recording came out so um so recordings were how you learned about shows like Mm. you know you you bought them when they came out to obsess over them and listen to them over and over and over because they weren't souvenirs of the viewing experience they were their own experience that you then imputed onto them what the visuals might be um and uh and i think that's one reason this particular recording 
was so effective for me um, because I've thought about this a lot over the last few days since we talked about doing this um, is that because the London recording is of a concert, um, the casting of it, the musical direction of it, the direction of it is all about how it sounds, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. the top priority. Whereas in any production, obviously you want of a musical, you want your songs to sound good. You want your singers to be good, but I'll, I'll bring up as a, as a really terrific, like sort of test thing, a comparative track would be the, a call from the Vatican. Mm. Um, so a call from the Vatican, for those who don't know, this is a moment where uh, uh, Guido, the main character and his wife, Louise, his long suffering wife, Louise are in their hotel room in Venice, where he is seeking inspiration. And um, his hotel phone room, ring, his hotel room phone rings, he picks it up. And it is his mistress who has followed them to Venice. And what ensues is phone sex um, in song. She sings filthy phone sex into his ear. And mm-hmm. the title comes from the fact that when his wife is like, oh, is something wrong? I, uh, I'm not sure. It's about my film. It's from the Vatican. Go ahead, Monsignor. <laughs> and so this extremely filthy song is called A Call from the Vatican. Anita Morris did it originally on Broadway. She was costumed in this astonishing lace, black lace bodysuit, see-through lace bodysuit. And she was Tony nominated for this performance. Um, uh, For the bodysuit. Well, (laughs) and CBS, the network that aired the show, CBS Standards and Practices, watched a rehearsal for the Tony Awards telecast and said, absolutely not. Absolutely not, It is so filthy. And so this is what I knew, right? Like I heard the song and I know that Anita Morris was nominated and that it was so too filthy for CBS. So now, uh, somewhere along the way, I get my hands on a bootleg, and I and now it's pretty common. Like I, you can find it on YouTube pretty easily, and I urge everyone to do this because she's astonishing, and it is filthy. It's just her <laughs> on a box. She's got this red hair and this black suit. She is a contortionist. It is mm. insane. It is insane. Then you get to the 2003 revival, okay? Mm-hmm. And in that revival, Jane Krakowski plays Carla. Um, and she flew in wearing nothing but a towel. In, she flew in from the top center down onto the stage where it basically flew in on a towel wearing a towel onto the table, which is sort of the centerpiece of that production set. And Antonio Banderas is sitting there and she's got an actual like he's on an actual phone with a cord and she is there on that table in a towel. She straddles that phone cord <laughs> in ways like it was, it was so filthy. And you would think like it's too, you know, like 20 years have passed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they're gonna have to really up the ante. It's funny that like both of them are shocking. Like watching mm-hmm. Anita Morris on video, watching, and I believe you can you can probably YouTube um, Jane Krakowski's too. Uh, yeah. She makes a squeak, and it's there on that revival cast album too at the climax because there's yeah. a climax in the there's song. a climax. Yes. Um, Jane Krakowski's squeak when she hits that climax was truly the most shocking thing I have ever witnessed <laughs> in a Broadway theater. Like, I didn't know where to look. I am gay as the day is long, and I was getting confused. I like no one knew what to do with themselves. Like the husbands of the wives all around. Right. Like nobody knew like no one knew what how to act. Who knows a therapy to beat what you can get from me? She flies out upside down, singing her final notes. Like it was, um, and she wins the Tony, and she deserves yeah. every second of it. Every second of it. Both of those performances are wildly physical. Mm-hmm. So much of what they are doing and what is jaw dropping is that they're able to sing at all while their bodies are doing what their bodies are doing. Um, and they're amazing. And I take nothing away from the just disgustingly wonderful <laughs> filthiness of those two performances. <laughs> I mean, really jaw-dropping. But but this woman, Becky Norman, she's otherwise not a name. I, I can't find much about her. I think she was mm-hmm. like in Aspects of Love. She did a production of Vita, she, British actress. Um, uh, did some things. I think she was one of the replacements for the leads in uh, one of the leads in Aspects of Love over there. So she was like doing well. But again, she's doing this concert. And this concert is not a fully staged production. Um, I have not seen video of this, but I've seen pictures and she's holding a phone, an old school mm-hmm. corded telephone. Um, and what's clear is she's not elaborately choreographed mm-hmm. to the visual was not for this concert version was not going to be able to be what those, what, what Anita Morris had been, which was the only real antecedent at that point. Um, she has to do it with her voice. And when you're talking about listening to a cast album, you know, I saw Jean Krakowski. And so every time I listen to her version, I can see what she was doing and I'm delighted, right? Now that I've seen Anita Morris on video, when I listen to her, I can hear, I can see what she's doing. But I, you do not need the visual for Becky Norman's Call from the Vatican. It is, she's just vocally very, very, very strong for one thing. But all she has is how she sings it. And so she, the way she phrases it, her phrasing, her breath, her implications, she is just, she plays fast and loose with the phrasing. Mm-hmm. Uh, who gives a shit? She's, she's just, it's gorgeous and still filthy. Yeah. 
but it's it's a thing where the idea that this was a concert it doesn't mean that the concert would have been my favorite production of mine it sure. but it does translate to song after song after song this is my favorite recording of it to listen to because it had one job which was to sound great and mm. becky norman sounds freaking great that's a really interesting point because i think one of the reasons that our our favorites of of of, of shows are the first cast album we hear which is generally the first version of a show is generally mm-hmm. also the first cast album of that show you know you usually mm-hmm. hear the the you know the original whatever production um and every everything else kind of becomes an offshoot of that because it's baked into your brain and you remember the original version and then you hear the other one and you're like oh they changed oh, this or they modified they breathed this. wrong they breathed right. wrong yeah they like, put it in the wrong they put the wrong emphasis in that in that yeah, yeah. crazy yeah like you say or that but because everything else is usually ostensibly the same the orchestrations are very much the same everything else is cruising right. along um especially when you have like you know london ver- or west end versus broadway recordings of the same mm-hmm. production yeah. um but with this it is an entirely different animal and you're actually cluing into me why i think one uh, a recording we've talked about on this podcast before that uh, that contains uh, um is uh i talked about with uh rob schneider was um sondheim a celebration at carnegie hall and a lot of my favorite versions of some of those songs are from that recording and i think like you said it's because that was semi-staged there was some dancing there was some some performance Mm -hmm. to it but largely it's just people standing at microphones and very nice outfits like singing the hell out of stuff and really having to just lean in to the song like they have nothing else to to go from they only have the song and it it really makes all the difference in the world when you're making an album to like really (laughs) lean into that yeah yeah, when what you're doing is listening to it, and that's all you're going to get, um, yeah. it it pays some dividends. The uh, I, I mentioned having seen the Transport Group uh, concert of Nine with Santino Fontana mm-hmm. um, just a couple months ago, and Alexandra Silber did a call from the Vatican. Oh, God. and uh, <laughs> and again, here's a situation where she all she could do was stand there. Right. But how you stand there, you yeah. know, the the you know, the the devil's in the details, and her details included an un, a knockout red dress. Mm-hmm. And clearly she had done all her homework and that mm-hmm. this was a song she had been dying to sing or a role she'd been dying to play, because the sheer joy and uh, of just pulling out every stop for this one night only concert to get to do, even if she never gets to do it. Like, I don't know. I'm making this shit up in my head. I don't know what Alexander sure. Silver was thinking, but sure. this is clearly, you can just see a role and a song she'd been itching to do for a really long time. And this mm-hmm. was possibly, you know, that you could do, maybe this will be the only time I get to do this. So fuck it. And she just, it was, spectacular um and and i think there's a lot too just i don't get to i don't get to do choreography i don't get to come in flying on Mm -hmm. a a, a giant um towel uh but i can sing the shit out of this and i can make you just as uncomfortable um and yeah like a lot of legs crossing and uncrossing um well, I'm glad uh, you mentioned also that the, even though she doesn't have any ography to to go with it, the 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 version on the the 92 cast is filthy. Like it is absolutely filthy. filthy. 
I mean, <laughs> you really get like for the. I think for the first. I mean, I've never seen nine. I've I've heard the original cast album a couple times. Obviously, I'm familiar with the show, so I knew what was happening. But it was the first time I heard that song and really went. I, I I really understood how you're supposed to feel in that, which is uncomfortable. You're supposed to be right. uncomfortably aroused because that's what Guido is in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's, it's... and and listening to the original Broadway cast, like I don't think you get that when mm-hmm. you see what Anita Morris's body is doing while she's singing that. You're like, give her every award, right. give her everything, give her all your money, like like mm-hmm. sign away your a deed to your home, like you will do anything <laughs> for her. Um, but it's not all there in the recording. So just right. listening to it, you're not getting what made her so jaw-dropping in the role. And I I do think it, one, again, I just come back to Miss Becky Norman. I don't know where you are in the world right now, but you sang the shit out of that. <laughs> she kept it, yeah. It, it's, it, it is a really fun live oh. version of that, yeah. And P.S., uh, just, you know, the the art that I'm looking at you on mm-hmm. this screen yes. with it behind you, right. that is Becky Norman. Of all of the images ah, of Guido okay. uh, that they chose to use for the key art for that uh, recording, it's a picture of Becky Norman, Norman. Okay. chewing on the ear. Chewing on his ear, yes, I see, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you could have picked a lot of the different uh, people, yeah. women in that uh, in that cast to feature. Uh, a lot of characters you could feature for character reasons or for uh, star reasons, um, but Becky Norman's the one who's in that image. So, hi, Becky Norman. Thank you for the. I, I just knew service. it wasn't. Uh, I just knew it wasn't Elaine Page. That's Page, all I knew yes. from that. From that, because it is kind of posterized a little bit. But I yeah, knew it yeah. was, I definitely wasn't Elaine Page. That's yeah. all I knew about. So let's talk about this for a second about Elaine sure. Page. So yeah. um, Elaine Page didn't actually do the concert. I was going to say. So she must have been brought in just for the recording then. Yes, she was because okay. So this, uh, I think her name was Elizabeth Saster. Mm-hmm. Uh, did played that and I thought oh how unfortunate for her but like if they can get for their charity concert if they can get uh, Elaine Page oh, to do yeah, the recording Page. you're going to get yeah. Elaine Page to do the recording but apparently there's a little more backstory which was that Sarah Brightman was supposed to do that role in the concert Ooh. yeah and look I I should just sorry to all you big phantom fans out there but I am not a Sarah Brightman stan I sure. um I it's crystal. It's clear as a bell. I feel nothing. Like mm-hmm. I, she, she just does not. She does not her, speak to me. But in 1992, she has ridden. Oh, in to, England, especially right like, in England, yeah, she yeah. is an enormous star She's and deserves massive, to be. Yeah. Deserves to be deservedly so. She is the role of Claudia is um, Guido's. She was the star of several of his films. She's a huge star independently of Guido, but they're former lovers. He's obsessed with her. She's his goddess. He's always casting her as goddesses. He's always casting her as inspirations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in desperation, he begs her to come to Venice. And at the end of the um, first act, sort of the opening of the second act of the show is that she has arrived. And they have a private conversation out on a beach where she's like, dude, you're, you, you expect, like, you're going to, pl- I know, I know, you're going to write, make me a goddess again. Like, forgot, like, I'm an actress. I'd like something to freaking act, you know? Um, and an unusual way is the song that she sings. Um, right. The one song, the big marquee song from the show is her song and opens the second act after a very lovely two-hander of a scene of people, two, two old friends with 
have a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but like, she's a star. If you look at the pictures of the original cast, Shelley Birch, not a star name, but like she in this cast of women, beautiful women, beautifully arrayed. She is like a foot taller than everybody mm-hmm. else. Like she is this mutant goddess. Like it, it you know, it's, it, it's it's a way one way in which the film casting did make sense and that Nicole Kidman has this other mm-hmm. you're almost not a person anymore you are a movie star right. um in the film eight and a half it's Claudia Cardinal um you know these are just extraordinarily uh unusual women um and so it makes sense for this concert cast she kind of swoops in she kind of sings one song and is mostly out of there after right. that point so um you know, have Sarah Brightman parachute in, sing the big number, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. And then something happens schedule-wise, or I don't know what, but Sarah Brightman couldn't do the concert. So this Elizabeth Saster gets kind of called up from the chorus. I, you know, she was doing some supporting roles or something. And so wow. she sang Unusual Way. I am sure she did a beautiful job. Um, but it, you know, when they made the recording and somebody could get Elaine Page in there, yeah you you don't get a lane page you get a lane page um yeah and and so uh you know she did not do the concert but i am just thrilled that you have this because she is as as was sarah brightman but you know elaine page had already more time as Mm -hmm. a, a diva of the west end stage by that point um and uh you know just letting her unleash her big high belt on that song is a yeah. really fun thing to hear. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So it must've been really late in the process if they pulled somebody out of the, you know, yeah, that, that I, Sarah Brightman dropped out. That's a real, yeah, I can't, I don't, I don't wow. know the, the details of what happened. And I only learned the Sarah Brightman thing like last week because I, I oh, knew okay. that someone else had done it, but mm-hmm. the fact that it had been, specifically Sarah Brightman and that there was, as you say, like if it had been a week, they could have been looking for another star to show up. Right. But, um, to, to it seems it like in. it was, it was extremely last minute. And, yeah. you know, there's a whole lot of really talented women in the world who can sing that song real pretty. And one of them got to yeah. do it in this concert, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but then Elaine Page got the recording. Right. Well, that, you know, I, I think, I, I hope everybody was okay with it. Cause that sounds worth <laughs> I hope so to too, me. Elizabeth. <laughs> You had a good yes. run. <laughs> Understand? Right. You got to do the live performance. You, you got know, that's to do the it. that's the that's the amazing thing that that would have been. Yeah. But anyway, that's that yeah, okay. So that makes a lot of sense. Um that Elaine Page swooped in and uh and did Yeah, what because she had someone to do. else was gonna swoop. Somebody else was originally yeah. supposed to swoop anyway. Yeah, um, so that makes a lot of sense. So you had a former okay. Evita and a future Juan Perón there in that mm-hmm. in that moment, which is pretty yep. yeah. uh that's the there you go. This is the synergy of the whole. Of Look the at whole it thing. all. It's tendrils, yeah. all the connections. <laughs> Interconnecting and inter- interwoven. Have you gotten the uh, the two-disc extended version of this concert? I uh, do. Now, that is yeah. not the one that I... Right. Um, that's not the one I had in my car. Right. Driving around Chicago in 1992, three, four. Um, but yes, now I have that version. And every time the additional material comes on, two things happen. I'm so thrilled that I'm getting to hear it. And... Mm-hmm there's a hiccup in my ear because sure. I, was, I listened to it for so long. The one disc version that like, I, I I'm always like, my brain just knows what's next. And when what's right. normally next doesn't come, I'm always like, wait, what, what, what is this? And then I go, Oh, I like this. <laughs> um, 
it's like candy. Oh, give me more of this please give me more of this um <laughs> yeah yeah i do have that that because it's got more of the sort of the big finale the big the big climax of the show is he claudia in one of her toss throwaway comments to him at the beginning of the second act uh she calls him her casanova mm. and he basically it's so wonderful because it means he doesn't even hear it's I, one of the things I love about the actual unusual way in its context is that she set calls him Casanova in the lead up to that song as they're alone on the beach late at night. And she sings this song about how he has changed her life in the ways that's wonderful in the ways that's frustrating and how it, this deeply conflicted song about somebody you love on many levels, but not enough on the one level to really mm-hmm. be a couple. Um, and it's so wonderful and feels so true to those complex relationships we have that we carry for decades through our lives where with creative partners and, um, and all of that. And he's not listening yeah, because he is stuck <laughs> because he's a narcissist and his narcissism mm-hmm. is the subject of the whole show, but she's singing this thing and he is still stuck on the fact that she said the word Casanova I mean, he's just, but she, and so she accidentally does what he brought her there to do, which was give him inspiration. And he makes this giant musical extravaganza about Casanova, barely fictionalizing things from his own life. Right. And, um, and he's shooting this big number and all of the people see themselves being portrayed in this lampooned awful uh, cartoon of their life, especially his wife. And it all one by one, they're all just are sick of him and they're offended and grossed out. And it's awful. And it all collapses. The song is the grand canal and um, the extended version that you were meant that you talked about has much more of the material of what the actual individual scenes are mm. that are these, these cruel lampoons of things you watched happen between these characters in the first act. Um, he's intending it to be cruel to himself, but along the way, he is cruel to right. all these women. To everyone, um, yeah. And it's just—it's dramaturgically really yummy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun to have more of those bits that are ostensibly comedic, but accumulate to a catastrophic result. Um, yeah. Well, because self-loathing is hard to pull off. I mean, we've all, yes. and I, and I don't think Americans do it very well. Because my big, so drawing the comparison between all that jazz, which is, I think the most like, especially because it's a musical, nine's a musical, like it, it all, it all fits very nicely. But like eight and a half and nine have this very like, I'm a bad person kind of vibe running through the whole thing. And at the end of the story, you you kind of agree with him and you're sort of like but he's he has what he has is a deeper understanding of how even though he's a bit like like you say he he's hurting other people like he sort of realizes that like he is actually hurting other people and he needs to change that like he's he mm-hmm. he has made that self-realization <laughs> what in the in the, the Fosse version and the more american version is that sort of like uh where like it, it always seems to be acting like God, I'm a really bad person. Look at all this cool stuff I do. God, it's so terrible, isn't it? All this cool yeah. stuff I do. It's like so. It's like that thing where I don't know if you ever had this experience where like if you're, if you're in like a church group as a kid and they have like somebody come in to like do some like small 
small uh small level scared straight where they're just like yeah, you yeah, know yeah. like and they end up being like i did all this stuff and i had all these drugs and i had all these women and as if and you're just sitting there as a kid being like that sounds awesome like everything yeah, you're like, talking about sounds amazing cool. right yeah. and he's like you got to get right with with everything else i'm like yeah but can i do the fun stuff first and then mm-hmm. the, the charlemagne thing like and then come yeah, back like, i'm totally I'm digging your yeah. whole story. I want to take that whole right. journey. And yes, you want right. me to skip. You want me to skip ahead. You want me to skip the but, fun part? I'm super yeah. sorry. Like I don't yeah. think I don't I don't think I'm gonna run with that. And that's always how the American versions of these sort of like self-loathing autobiography style things feel. Is it's just very like <sighs> oh, man, I'm and eating it too. So cool. Yeah. Like, aren't I cool? Like, I mean, I'm bad. Oh yeah. Ooh, bad. Uh, don't like, be like me. It's pretty cool what I did, right? Yeah. Like that was pretty cool. <laughs> And I don't I get, get that vibe from eight and a half or nine. It's a really interesting, like Yeston's ability to, and, and Arthur Coppett's ability to translate it. And I, it doesn't carry that American weight, which is really, really interesting. I think. I, I think it's true that like a musical too has to, um, it has to, he has to be charming. And I feel like that's mm-hmm. part of the struggle. Like a lot of people are never going to like nine because like my tolerance for man babies is too low like because really what is this musical about this is a big man baby having a big man baby tantrum um and i'm like when someone's like he's a terrible person who by the end feels bad about being a terrible person and you're like okay yes that's true i have no counter argument that is in fact correct (laughs) right um it's just whether or not you sympathize or whether or not you identify you like are you moved by his um existential plight and if you're not then nine is really not for you um Mm -hmm. if you know um eight and a half sort of i think like like leans harder into not not expecting you to like him yes Um, um, eight and a half, yeah, like you said about self-loathing. Like, but a musical, I think, has different needs, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons why the nine movie um, is a struggle mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis is a phenomenal actor, and he's well, not not wrongly cast, but I think there is a for a story about a narcissistic man baby having a narcissistic man baby crisis you need the razzle dazzle you need Mm -hmm. the bob fossey charm yeah to keep your eye going wow (laughs) um we also have to kind of have to see why people keep coming back like if this guy is such a giant pain and Mm -hmm. terrible to be around why are all these people drawn to him and when it's you know Roy Scheider as Bob Fosse. I get it. I get the like mm-hmm. there there is the, there's something you, you see him do the work, you see that he has this ability to bring these things out in people and you see the struggle with it. And in 9 in in with with Jonathan Price or with Raul Julia who are incredibly charming, good-looking people. Mm-hmm. Um and Antonio Banderas I think falls in this category. Wait, but there's there's another shade lurking just underneath the surface that yeah. is I mean, it's no it's no trick that these people have all played wonderful cartoonish villains in yeah. movies throughout the years. Yeah. And they have that element to them where it's like, oh, these are 
this is a very this guy can be hateable and lovable in the same second. That's exactly the kind of thing we need. And it's almost like the part is not complicated enough for Daniel Day Lewis. Is there's not enough he can dig. He can't. There's not enough to dig into. It just it's it's like no, Dan, just just play the part, man. And he's and just then, like, I can't, I can't do it. Right. Well, and the, and the further you <laughs> dig, the more you're getting into the muck. And yeah. I just don't know that it can sust- I, I just don't know that the 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 framework can sustain a. a, a a deep, serious analysis of what is a really fairly common narcissistic yeah. middle-aged crisis. Um, it's not that complicated, <laughs> it, it, right? It's not that it's not that complicated. Yeah, um, and it, you know, I think it's like Tommy Tune, uh, very much a stylist. You know, that original production is so visually um, arresting, and it's so beautiful to look at it. Uh, and was sort of such a, a, a sumptuous thing of just this array of women in black across these white tiles um, acting as this chorus, you know, there's just always something to look at, even if it's basically just that. Um, mm-hmm. And for very, very deep into the show, you're just looking at them. Um, yeah. uh, but, but understood it as like, it's conceptual and it's beautiful and then Raul Julia stands there and charms your your socks off. Um, yeah, Antonio Banderas, my God, that man has charm. Um, mm-hmm. um, while we're talking about comparative cast albums, though, I have to say one I I, I really did enjoy the revival to a great degree. Um, uh, but one reason I realize I don't revisit it a lot is the um, the heavy dialect work, the accent work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, part of it is just it's it's a me thing to some degree because it's not like these people are doing bad work, mm-hmm. um, uh, but like I, when I go see Chekhov, if you're it, it, set in Russia, ostensibly they're speaking Russian, but here we are speaking English because we're Americans. Dear God, if I walked into a production of Uncle Vanya where they were all doing Russian accents, I would walk out in the first five minutes because like it just right. does not make sense, and. Um, and I don't know if it was a sop to, if it was a problem they felt they had to work around because of Antonio Banderas's Spanishness. Mm-hmm. Um, but that revival made a conscious choice to have everyone do Italian. Yeah. And, um, and so they're naturally doing that on to the recording. To varying levels of success. Yeah. To varying levels of success. And, I, and I'm a bit of a hypocrite here because the concert, there are two or three people one in one or two places where... Yeah. Even though most of them are not doing it, a couple of people do. But it's also like you're playing Saragina, the whore who sings the song "Be Italian." Yes, you really gotta. You're leave allowed to it to. there, like you're yeah. allowed to, and you're kind of not really, you know, like you gotta. Um, yeah, and a little bit uh, the Mama Madalena who sings uh, the Germs at the Spa, which the revival cut anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, like, it, it doesn't bother me in those. In, because there's just some some characters, it's just part of the bigness of it all is to lean into that. But in general, it, it just to me, it's like if everyone here is Italian except for the French lady, mm-hmm. we're in Italy, we're ostensibly speaking Italian. We don't need to be doing Italian accents. Like it just yeah. it felt weird. It feels it felt weird to me as I watched it. Mm-hmm. It it sounds weird on the recording to me. I'm going to get hate mail about this probably. Um, but I just feel like there's as a principle. It's like, it doesn't make sense. It's like doing Chekhov with Russian yeah. accents. Why, why are you bothering? I think um, that's a good, that's a good analog, especially because most of the time when people do Chekhov, I find they use British accents, which is just hilarious. 
If you're uh, British, great. If you're not, well, if you're British, it. but no, I I have seen. Yeah. I saw the Cherry Orchard somewhere of with an American cast, and they were all doing British accents. You're gonna make me cry right now. And I was really just like, wow, you. This is it. It was. It Why? was. It was somebody, I'm watching the, this show. It's not my favorite checkoff, but like I'm getting into it, and I was kept thinking, why does this feel weird? Like I was just sitting there, like this feels very weird. Why does this feel weird? And then I realized, why I'm weird is because they're all doing these odd British accents. I'm like, that is, we are wildly off the mark here, guys. Yeah. Like, so a, yeah. A, apologies to I guess it was David Laveau. I'm not sure if I'm remembering that right. Who directed mm. that? Who's going to be mm-hmm. like, well, Vince, these are why I made my choices. But like, it, it's just it's just odd. It, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I think you're probably right. It's probably an Antonio Banderas thing, which is just hilarious because Raul Julia, of course, is also born in Mexico, he's Mexican right, by, like, by it, birth, and like is is not like, Italian let, or anything, you know. So just just but, let, let just let them talk, right? Just well, let we them get talk. weird about that. I mean, we get very weird about accents and characters and yeah. that, and it it it. I think we, like you say, we often let it get in our way more than we let yeah. it do what it can yeah. do, which is help you find a character or work with a character yeah yeah and and, you know that revival again i overall i really enjoyed it and um and it was my first time actually seeing the show as obsessively Mm. as i had listened to that recording before um it was my first time getting to actually watch it and uh so you know i i I thought mary stuart masterson as the wife louisa the long-suffering wife Yeah, yeah i thought she was great she was great Mm -hmm. I listened to it again as we just it gave gave all of them a listen again before before coming on to talk about it, and I was like reminded like, and she sounded good. She wasn't just that wasn't just residual eighties movie affection mm. that was making me think she was great. She acted the shit out of it, and she did sound good. But but when I again like as a listening experience only, like I enjoy listening to that recording. I think, look, these are great performers, right? Like this is Laura mm-hmm. Benanti and, you know, Jane Krakowski. Cheetah Rivera, Mary Cheetah Beth Rivera, Peel. Like Mary Beth yeah. Peel, who, yeah, by then I had worked, no, I was later with Mary Beth Peel. And she's oh, wow. a goddess walking among us. Um, <laughs> shout out to Mary Beth Peel. You're the best. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, but the, the, I listened to that one as a souvenir of my experience of seeing the show. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to it as a listening experience on its own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I won't just mm-hmm. put that on and listen. Um, there are times I just want to remember, like, oh gosh, remember how good Mary Lou Stuart Masterson was, and I'll put on one of her songs. Um, and but but always just as a means to recreate in my own mind, my mind's eye of watching what she did and how moved I was by it. You know, mm-hmm. um, on the the ninety two London concert recording, my fave. Um, Anne Crum plays Louisa. Louisa uh, opens the show. Um, Anne Crum, for those who don't know, I'll do a quick thing on her. She, she passed away just last year or this year, which is mm-hmm. a shame. Um, uh, she was the original star of Aspects of Love in London. Um, and uh, when I saw my first Broadway musical on Broadway, I had seen Broadway tours of several things that would come through Louisville, Kentucky, where I grew up. But my first time seeing an actual Broadway show on Broadway was Les Miserables when it was brand new. Like mm. it, it had opened in March and I saw it in June and you could not get a ticket. But I found I was like hovering outside the theater and some like large group of people had one person who 
I stayed back at the hotel and they sold me their ticket for 20 bucks. And I sat in that um, balcony. And by then I was obsessed with the only recording that existed, which was the London cast. The Broadway cast had not been made yet. Um, but then there was an understudy on for Fontaine and I was like, ah. Oh, mm. mm. And the understudy was Anne Crumb and her name sticks out. Um, yeah. uh, and so I was like, oh, oh, she was really good. And so then later, <laughs> it was a big deal. There was a lot of she. There was a lot of press around the fact that she was who was she was not a famous name, but she was starring in the new Andrew Lloyd Webber over in London because it had been a whole contractual thing about bringing mm-hmm. Sarah Brightman to New York to open uh, Fame of the Opera uh, right. on Broadway uh, between British Equity and Actors' Equity of American Equity to like they ended up agreeing to this sort of swap that they would allow. Sarah Brightman to come over. The Brit- the two British stars were allowed to come and open it on Broadway, but he had to give um, use an American actress for the lead right. in his next thing. So Anne Crown was the beneficiary of that trade-off with Sarah Brightman yeah. uh, and was the star of Aspects of Love. Um, and so that was just in 1990. So she's riding high by the time this concert happens. Like she's yeah. th- she's walking on that big credit underneath her sail you know that's in her sails um and i gotta say she is one of the things she is is another one of the prime movers of why this is my favorite thing now i've said before Mm. about why i'm not deep into karen acres karen acres fans i I have come around i promise but when you listen to the broadway original broadway recording my husband makes movies it's just odd sounding it just sounds Mm. odd um her voice is unique and it's interesting but it it does tend to sort of flatten things out. And that is an odd, odd song. So the combination, I'm sh- now that I've seen recordings of it, like I get it, I have seen her sing this live. Um, Karen Akers sing that song and like I watching her do it live, I get it. But Anne Crumb, there isn't a, a moment of the self-deprecating wit or the pathos or the grief that is in that song that you do not hear in her version. Like it just, she is going to give you all of it. And I think mm. much like, like the recording as a whole, they're just, it, if maybe it's the one night onlyness of it, maybe it is that it is a concert and it all has to be in the, in how you sing it, but dear God, she leaves it all on the ice. Um, and it's just, it's glorious to listen to. I was really hoping you were going to say your first Broadway musical you saw was Chess, because Anne Crumb was also in the ensemble of Chess. I was really, really hoping. That it was, was not. Happen. Alas. But... <laughs> alas. Just a little too soon, I think. Vince, I have to ask, as we sort of wind down here a little bit, what is your favorite song from this version? I'm going to make you stick to the <sighs> London cast concert recording. <gasps> You're a cruel, cruel taskmaster. Yes, I am. Because it's interesting because, again, the marquee song on all of these is Unusual Way. And mm-hmm. there's not a version of any any of these that I don't love um, because I love that song. Yeah. Um, that song is great. But if I have to say what's the one, the one, I'm going to go with My Husband Makes Movies. Mm. Um it it's so complicated um it's not as smartest lyrically it's not you know like there's a lot 
it's a it's a weird song and isn't the big one and it isn't the it, it's not the big like listen i can listen to the end of germans at the spa or you know the <laughs> grand canal right. like the enormousness of germans at the spa gives me such joy yeah it's um, so it's really the, fun on this recording i want to say like I, germans at the right. spa really really works on this recording in a big way the germans at the spa the germans at the spa they'll soon be arriving here to spend the last weekend in shangri-la the germans at the spa descend from german mounts they come to take the waters with the daughters of italian counts how we have to have the germans at the spa carefully avoiding any sight of spa I fully get why people like I get why they cut it I suppose uh, I get why it could be the most embarrassing moment of the show mm-hmm. um, I totally get that in theory but that listening to that the way that sucker just starts with that violin and by the end of it it is this massive just wall of stupid glorious sound there's no reason for that number there's no reason yeah. for it and yet it is this wall of glorious sound I love it, but uh, I am going to go with the 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 character. My husband makes movies. Moment, yeah. but my husband makes movies. Tell, tell the uh, tell the folks where they can find you on the internet. Oh gosh, okay. Well, uh, I mean, my name is Vince Gatton. Uh, that's um, everyone here's Ben Scatton, which is not correct. It's V I N C E. That's a different person. G A T T O N. I am on way too much on the social medias. Uh, but um, don't find me on Twitter. You'll see that I'm there, but it's a stub. I, I, I am, I am a, a, a Twitter fleer since the takeover. Um, but I'm on, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on threads now. You can find Ooh. me on Instagram. Um, uh, and uh, I have a website, VinceGatton.com. You can go there. <sighs> can I just say, yeah. can I just say, I don't get to talk like this about this album with anybody. Like, I can't. Like, this has been, like, so long coming to finally be able to, like, really be heard and understood. Seriously, nobody. Like, the fact that I could just spend this much time deep diving my nerdery around this recording of Nine is... um, both an embarrassment and a joy. So thank you for this opportunity. My husband makes movies. To make them, he lives a kind of dream in which his actions aren't always what they seem. He may be onto some unique romantic theme. Some men catch fish. Some men tie flies, some earn their living baking bread. My husband, he goes a little crazy, making movies instead. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. 
Please rate and review the original cast on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help other listeners find the show. Go to bit.ly slash originalcaststore for original cast merchandise like t-shirts, tote bags, and more. Become a patron of the original cast at patreon.com slash originalcastpod so you can listen to our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. On the socials, we're at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Vince Gatton for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. My husband makes movies to make them. He makes himself obsessed. He goes for weeks on end without a bit of rest. No other way he achieve his level best. Some men read books. Some shine their shoes. Some retire early. When they've seen the evening news, my husband only rarely comes to bed. My husband makes movies instead. My husband makes Thank you very much, Mrs. Contini.